for the, the last month, as you guys know, we've been in this Voices series where I take the month off of teaching on Sundays, and we have people from our own congregations, friends of ours, sharing their own stories and what God's doing in their life. And this morning, we have some really close friends of Heather and I's that are sharing with us, and people that are very connected to this body. They're one of us. They're part of this family. And um, Mike and Rachel Schamberg, if you guys don't know them, yeah, uh, they, uh, they actually were part of planting Anthem with us, and we've known them since Mike was probably 19-ish, and before they were married, and then we've been able to watch them as they um, dated and got married, and they were on staff at our church, and they've been just so connected to us, and when uh, Heather and I had our kids when they were a lot younger. Mike and Rachel were always the chosen babysitters. And so they were at our house all the time watching our kids. And we just love them like family, for real. And so it's really, really special that we have them to share with us this morning. And so I want to invite Mike and Rachel Schamberg up here. Um, I think the coolest thing about the Voices series is for our church to see that God just doesn't speak through a pastor on Sunday mornings, but he actually speaks through his body, and he's moving in all of your lives. And so I hope this morning you're blessed by what God is doing in and through Mike and Rachel. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you, Pastor Chris. I know you love that. So yeah, you're good. Um, all right. Hi, everyone. Look at you all out there. Um, yeah. So we, um, Mike and Rachel, if you thought maybe the names were swapped, I don't know. It's a common misconception. Um, to start off, we thought we would just chat really quick about last week. Um, how many of you guys were here for AJ? Yeah? Look at all that. So good. So good. That changed one-seventh of my life. Yeah. So it was, it was awesome. Get it? Because Sabbath? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, bad jokes. Sorry. Bad Lots jokes. of bad jokes probably coming your way. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Can we take a word of prayer really quick? Just... Lord, we just take this time. Uh, we set it aside for you. God, we ask that your spirit would move in a radical, amazing, transformative way. Jesus, in only the ways that you can. God, we open ourselves up to you. God, we lift our hearts to you, our hands to you. Lord, we're so thankful um, for what you've done in our lives. We lift everything that we have up to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so like we said, um, Mike and Rachel, uh, we have been a part of Anthem for quite a while. Yeah, we were here at the beginning. Um, we were some of the few. There's, there's definitely still some of those faces in this room, but been awesome um, for us to just experience the transformation this church has gone through through all of its different seasons. Um, and for me, even as we were like writing this message this week, like thinking back along all of these things, um, it just got me like pretty like misty eyed, like about just all the seasons that we've seen this church go through. And something is happening that's really special right now. Um, and I think acknowledging that um, just the work that God's doing here is like really amazing and important. Um, it's something that everybody that's in this room gets to really partake in. 
um, and we're super thankful for it. So we came around, like Chris was saying, um, I was probably like 18 years old. I got involved with uh, Borders for Christ that was a skateboard ministry that Chris was running. And um, Rach was kind of in and around that as well. We met each other through that. And then, um, what, probably, how old were we? You know all the dates. 23? You were 23. That's when we got married. That's when we got married. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. We We... recap our seven-year anniversary, which is coming up this week. Actually, it's six. <laughs> I'm kidding. You are? <laughs> are you sure? Yes. Okay. He's kidding. Maybe. He's kidding. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Six, seven, you know, you get to a point where Who you're knows? like, tomato, tomato. We're know. there, apparently. <laughs> apparently, so. we've reached that point. Um, yeah, but anyways, we, um, we love doing all kinds of different stuff. Um, we like travel. Do you want to talk them through some travel things? Uh, yeah, sure. Have, so, yeah. Just to get a picture into our lives, uh, Mike is a freelance graphic designer and I am a wedding photographer. So that's what we do in a lot of our time. And also we love to travel. That's one of our favorite things to do when we're not working. We just got back from Spain this last January and it was amazing. And a couple years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, we went to Bali. And so for me, I'm the kind of traveler where any, do I have any Yelpers in here? Oh, only, only a couple people? Seriously? All right, perfect. Okay, so whenever I travel, I have to go on Yelp and I have to read all the reviews and places to eat, things to do, and I won't, you know, do anything that isn't highly rated, obviously. Um, but when we were in Bali a couple years ago with some friends of ours, we went to a monkey forest. Have any of you been to Bali? Oh, a couple of people. Forest? Have any of yeah. you been to the monkey forest? All right, this will resonate great okay, with you. Okay, great. Yeah, um, so <laughs> this is kind of my reality when we went to the monkey forest. I love animals. It's just a part of who I am. So there should be a picture of me and a little cute monkey sitting on my shoulder. Aw. Look at that little guy. Look at him. Um, he's kind of got some parts hanging out. We didn't censor, but just ignore that. Um, so this is my... Reality, you know, I love animals. I'm like, I'm gonna get a cute picture of a monkey on my shoulder, and I'm gonna post to Instagram, and I'm gonna be so cool. But uh, this is the reality of what happened. Okay, so let's let's go one more. Let's play that again. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe one more. Maybe one more. Yeah. This one's soft. This one's soft. Sheer horror. So honestly, Mike and I were preparing this morning, and he's like, we should show the monkey video. It was a last-minute edition. And we're like, how are we going to put that yeah. in there? Anyways, it's a part of who we are. Traveling, getting rabies, all of those things. So you're welcome. That was just for you. It's a little picture into our lives right there. So um, We also have dogs. So uh, those of you that know us closely, we have our dogs, Ella and Evie, and they are Boston Terriers. They... Um, Boston Terriers have tons of different emotions. You can show the first photo here. Um, there's judgment. So that's Ella. So, that's yeah, this is Ella. That's judgy. judgment. Uh, the next one's joy. There we go. We've got curiosity. This is Evie. And uh, this next one, I haven't come up with a name for it yet. But in, in all <laughs> reality, they really love each other. It's like they're pretty close. This is the next one here. You know, they're like sisters, they're, yeah, they're the best. So this is our house. 
Um, and we're adding one more to it, so you can show the next photo here. Whoa. Yeah. So that's not a chicken nugget. That is a baby. Yeah. And um, yeah, this is, a, this is a pretty big moment for us. Um, what we're going to unpack over the next uh, bit here is our story to this um, in a lot of ways and our story to this moment. And um, we, this is the first time we've shared it. Um, we really thought that this place, like this room, these people, you guys are like our home for us. This is our family in so many ways. And um, yeah, like we celebrate, we mourn, we do all those kinds of things here. And so we really thought that this was like a really appropriate place to share something like that. So thank you. A lot of fun went into making that baby. So um, okay, anyways, so as we share today, we wanted to tell you all that we were pregnant because it's a big part of our story and how we've gotten here and even moving forward in our lives together. So I'm going to share kind of a brief synopsis of what Mike and I have been through for the last six years of marriage. Right. <laughs> Ish. Ish. Uh, so we got married, like, like we said, six years ago. And after that... Like, life was good, you know, newlywed life. And uh, just a brief history about me. I discovered uh, that I was having a lot of pain in my lower abdomen. Pretty, I pretty much had it my whole life. But after we got married, it started getting worse and worse. And one day around our second year of marriage, after us trying for about a year and not getting pregnant, we knew we wanted to have kids pretty soon after we got married. I decided I was going to see a doctor and figure out what this pain was that was going on. It was consistent. It was almost every day when I would wake up, when I would go to bed, I'd have this throbbing pain in my abdomen. So we went to the doctor and it was quickly discovered that I had endometriosis, which actually is very common. One in four women actually have it, and a lot of people don't know it. It can be pretty symptom-free. But in my case, I had a lot of symptoms. So we went to the doctor, and they quickly discovered through ultrasounds that I had a large baseball-sized mass in my lower abdomen that was causing a lot of pain for me. So... Being kind of the funny jokester people we are, we named the mask Kevin. I don't know why that seemed appropriate, but just kind of to joke around with it a little bit. So my doctor said, you know, Kevin needs to come out now. It's time for Kevin. We got to evict Kevin from his happy little home in your abdomen. So my doctor scheduled a surgery for me, and... When they went in, they discovered that this large mass had completely sw swallowed my right ovary and also my appendix, which they didn't know about at all. So they went in, they removed it all. Uh, the doctor said that it was one of the worst cases of endometriosis he had ever seen, which 
was pretty shocking. You know, you, you live your life and you think everything's fine and happy and healthy and normal. And when you get news like that, it um, can really be hard. Like, why me? Why is this happening? And so they took it out. And for about six months after that, I was on an injection-based therapy to have it not grow back, essentially. So we couldn't try to get pregnant after that either. So about a year goes by, and we are free to start trying to have a baby again. And then we get pregnant for the first time a year later, which was so amazing, you guys. The f seeing that positive pregnancy test, we, at this point, thought we would never be able to have kids. It's been three years. Mm -hmm. So three yeah. years at this point. And about two and a half weeks after finding out we were pregnant, we miscarried. So after that, we took some time to heal. About six months later, we got pregnant again. And it's funny, the second time you get pregnant, you're kind of thinking, you know, the first one, you know, it, it's okay, it happens. You kind of like suppress it a little bit. And then you get pregnant again and you're like, yes, this is my redemption story. Here comes God, you know, swooping in, going to take all my pain away. This is going to be perfect, great timing. And so we go about the next, you know, four-ish four weeks and I start spotting, and we go to the doctor, and there's no longer a heartbeat. Baby had stopped growing around seven weeks. So it's kind of funny, like I said, when you're like, oh, this one bad thing happened this one time. It was kind of like a freak thing, you know? And then it happens again, and then your mind starts entertaining different thoughts and different ideas. And your world kind of gets disrupted a little bit more. So it was a very, very long journey for us. So there's some of you here today, as we're going into what we're really going to talk about, that have had miscarriages. And I want to tell you I'm really sorry. And it's a pain that is very, very hard to describe. And there's some of you here who are struggling to get pregnant right now. And I so understand and am with you and see you and I truly believe through everything that we're going to talk about today that God absolutely sees you too even though it doesn't feel like it and then there's other people in this room who are struggling with other things and it doesn't have to be something completely traumatic or something huge that's taken over your life but all of us in every season of our lives, have walked through something really difficult and something really hard and something that has really made us ask, do we trust God? Is God really who he says he is? Is he a really good God? Why is this happening? So as we go into this, I just want you to feel encouraged through our story. And I will tell you, I am a raging ball of hormones right now. <laughs> and literally everything makes me cry. And I'm actually really surprised I haven't cried yet. So if I cry, just bear with me. I'll get through it. But we want you to know that our story really is God's story in and through us. 
and we want to encourage you. So let's just pray one more time before we get into the scripture we're going to talk about, and then we'll go from there. Sound good? First, can you guys just all take a deep breath in for me? We're going to talk about heavy stuff. Just a deep breath, deep breath out. Jesus, thank you for the air in our lungs. God, I thank you that none of us are here by mistake. And whether we've gone through hard things, are going through hard things, or will go through hard things, Father, that it's no surprise to you. God, I thank you that you say that you're with us. That even when we're far off, even when we feel like we're so distant from you, God, you're closer than our breath. So God, this morning, as we speak, as we share, as we learn about you and your word, Father, I pray that you would be the breath in our lungs, that every word that comes from our mouths this morning would be from you and not from our own ambition or own anything, Jesus, that it would be completely and solely your heart. God, I pray for every heart and soul in this room. Lord, we thank you for your nearness. We thank you for your absolute divine goodness. And Father, we just pray that your reality, who you say we are, would completely envelop us. Not the lies of the enemy, not the lies of this world, God, but who you say we are. And God, even if we're having a hard time trusting you right now, God, even like Leah said, God, it's okay in your eyes that you're still walking with us, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So we are going to read Genesis 3 through 1. 3, 1 through 11. Oh, I'm sorry. 3, 1 through 11. Also, I don't have a brain. And it's all up on that. Yeah. Um, so, oh, actually, we don't have the whole thing written out there. We have it in chunks. So, yeah, maybe you want to just read it there. All right. I'm going to read it off, off the screen. You can step down if you want. Oh, gosh. <laughs> See, this is how prepared we are, you guys. I'm going to hop back on. But, all right, Genesis 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman... Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give to her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. 
Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you are naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Okay, perfect. I'm going to walk back up on stage now. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go through... And we're going to talk about some of the original lies that the enemy has used to manipulate and deceive his people from the beginning of time. So we're first going to look at Genesis 3.1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? So if you're a note taker, I encourage you to take notes, even if it's on your phone, because I feel like this is a really practical application for our everyday lives, especially when we feel like we're being tempted or if we feel like we're being deceived. So we're going to go over the three lies that the enemy uses to deceive us. The number one lie is the lie of doubt. Did God really say from the beginning, Satan has used God's people, or I'm sorry, not God's people. From the beginning, Satan has tried to undermine God's word. He tries to get us to doubt what God actually has intended in our lives and what really God says about me and about you. He likes to twist God's word. So this raises the question, when things get difficult in your life, when hard things happen in your life, where do you look? Will the enemy come in and say, did God really say that he is good? Did God really say that that's not good for your life? Do we jump to the word or do we define truth ourselves? I know for me, it's really, really hard sometimes to go to the Bible when I'm grieving. Yeah. Um, so who here looks at like IMDb movie reviews before you go to a movie? Yeah? Look at all those hands. Okay. Um, how many people know a person that goes to IMDb every time before they go to a movie? Yeah, I live with one of them. It's, it's great. Not to throw you under the bus, but okay. I, I do too, definitely. Yeah. I'm guilty. Um, so, I mean, for those of you that aren't familiar, we've got like the sliding scale. Like a 10.0 is absolute perfection, like absolutely perfect. I don't know if there's anything out there that's a 10, um, but Yeah, maybe. What's, a, what's a 10 movie in your guys' book? Yeah. Like a movie that you're yeah, just like, this out. is classic. It's like the best movie. What? La, La, oh, that, that was on our we list. Okay, we wrote down La Some La Land. Some people might disagree, but La La Land, Bambi, <laughs> Bambi. I mean, like the emotional tension. Star in Wars. Oh, that's yeah, a good Star one. Wars. Okay, one. Top Gun. Which, yeah, there's a new one coming out in 2020. Maverick literally is the same person, same captain, just still flying a plane. Now 60 years old. I don't know why he didn't move forward at all. Um, 
So there's like an eight, nine, ten, right? You got like your perfect movies or like very, very good. Um, moving down the list, we got like a seven out of ten. This is still like a good one. Maybe it's not like perfect. I can't believe you made me write this down, but Aquaman. Right? Like the only reason you're going to see Aquaman is to see Jason Momoa without his shirt on. I mean, let's be, I mean, off. I mean, so um, that's a then, solid 7 out of 10. Like, so, it's okay. So this is it's where we great. split hairs. Like a 6.9 out of 10 is where, like, people start falling off the bus really fast. So at a 6.9, all of a sudden it's like, eh, this isn't worth my time. For us, and, and this is going to upset some people in the room, we call this the golden decimal, and um, I th the movie for us that's a 6.9 is On Golden Pond. Who knows of... <laughs> See, yeah, does like anyone know uh, On Golden Pond? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So we've yeah. watched the first three minutes six times. <laughs> yeah. We don't make it through the opening credits ever. We've literally fallen asleep to it multiple times. I don't know if we've ever made it through no, the credits. No, probably yeah. not. Okay, and then it moves down to like a five. Now we're getting into the territory where everyone's off the bus. These are like shark movies, um, you know, and then everything below that is like B-rated horror. Right. So the, the full story here is the fact that like there is a scale, right? And we choose at some point in time, we're like, eh, I don't know, like these people, like I don't know if I want to like go see that because somebody else told me this or somebody else told me that. And the source of truth is all over the place. It's a bunch of other people's, like, opinions of it, um, you know, and whether you go see the movie or not, like, you're forming you, the, in, everything in these reviews is informing your vision of how it actually plays out. Exactly. So for me, in tying this in, it's hard for me because I am the one who will not go to a movie if it's under a seven. It's just not happening. I'm just not going to waste my time, right? So for me, and especially as we're relating this back to grief, I feel like it's really hard to me to turn to the expert. So the person who says, this is a 10 out of 10. My word, the Holy Spirit, this is a 10 out of 10 in your life. And when I was going through all of this grief and all of our miscarriages, it was really, really hard for me to turn to the word. Does anyone feel like that when they're going to grief or going through grief? I know sometimes it's like, I'm going to go through this and I'm going to go through the word and it's really going to help me and I'm just going to find some verses that really inspire me and help me. Or it's like, I'm not going to go to the word because it might make me dig through things a little bit deeper and a little bit harder. So I know for me, it's really, really hard to not listen to those lies and to the opinions of other people and what people say you should do, what people say you should go see, why this is good, why this is bad, and instead turn my focus and my vision to the expert who says, I have given you everything that you need. The second lie is the lie of deception. So verses 2 through 5, um, we'll read through them really quick. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree of the middle of the garden that, we're not supposed, that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. 
And if we look at the scripture, we see that Eve gives the serpent a foothold by continuing the conversation out um, when she should have ended it. What thoughts are you taking captive? Like, what are you, like, closing the door on, opening up? Like we're talking about with, like, turning to the word, like, allowing these, like, seeds of grief, this, like, this message to, like, literally permeate down the line um, about what the truth is in it is really, like, one of our super difficult places to be. And one of these things is, as deception goes, like, if it gets us on the wrong road, the road is long, and it's a very, very difficult one to actually establish what the truth is, where it's coming from, all those kinds of things. Um, So yeah, Eve takes motion towards the idea that God wants us to have access to everything. Doubting God's goodness in the midst of trial, and all of a sudden the question comes up, where are you in this, God? Like, where, where are you? Um, In the midst of our story, uh, when we had our first pregnancy, uh, when we, like, got pregnant, I just, like, lost it. I, we had been, it had been, like, two and a half years, I think, or something like that at that point in time. Um, and then the miscarriage came, and I had, I had absolutely no idea how to deal with the loss. Like, I didn't have any of the tools really in place, or at least, like, I didn't know how to recognize them or bring them up. Um, and so I just kind of shoved, like, the emotions down. I figured out how to just kind of, like, grit and bare my teeth, get through it, Um, which was not actually in reality happening. Um, I saved face for a bit, um, and then it all kind of cracked open again. Um, It was coming out in other places in my life. And I found myself uh, standing in a place where I, like, had to confront truths that I realized I didn't have tools for. Um, How many of you have felt that on any given day? Like, this trauma or, like, thing, whatever it is in front of you, it could be addiction, um, You know, any, like, it doesn't have to be in the facet of what we're dealing with. Um, But, like, you're at war with nothing. Like, you have no sword, you have no shield. Um, All of that is open before you. And uh, slowly, deception started to creep in. It started to tell me that all, this is all I'm ever going to be. Like, then the second miscarriage happens. Cracks open even bigger, Right? Um, faced again with the pain of loss, like filled with all this uncertainty of what to do next, and then all of a sudden, the deception turns into this belief. Like, I don't know how to get myself to quiet my mind, to actually, like, build a process around this. Um, And I began to put my worth in my title. Like, I wrote a story for myself um, that I, I wrote out of what was happening to me, And I placed all of my worth, um, what God says about who I am, anything that was going to happen in my future, all of it became written based off of my past, off of what had happened. Um, Luckily, this is not the truth. Those of us that know our salvation in Christ, like, know that this isn't it, and we'll get to that later, but... We're very lucky to know that that's not the truth. But in the moment of grief and in the moment of deception, it became everything. Like, it's all-encompassing. And so the third lie we're going to talk about is the lie of comparison. And that's in verse 6. So Eve sees the fruit, and she sees that it is beautiful and that it's pleasing. Eve turns her eyes 
from what she knows is not hers and to what she actually wants. It's really hard when we go through difficult times in our life to not look at other people and what they have and wish that it were ours. This is especially hard when we live in a world that is full of constant scrolling, constant liking, constant seeing how great other people's lives are, when in all reality we know that's not the case, right? I even feel like this in my own life sometimes. Like I portray this great picture of myself, this is who I am, this is who I want the world to see. And it wasn't until uh, we kind of publicly shared our story online that I think I was able to let myself become vulnerable and show my weakness and show people that this is who I am. But I will tell you that comparison, maybe some of you have heard this quote before, that comparison is the thief of joy. How many have heard that quote before? I would even take that a step further and say that comparison is the thief of your testimony. There are many of us in this room that have really hard and grueling stories, and there are some of us that don't, but we're all going to go through, through things in life. The moment we start comparing our lives to other people's lives, we give the enemy a foothold and we tell God that our story isn't important anymore. And I'll say, Mike and I, we, we did this podcast with some of our friends and we kind of shared some of our story. And I remember when my friend said they were gonna put our story online and you know everyone was gonna be able to listen to it and I was super, super scared. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, just the classic, like, even if this touches one person's life, it will so be worth it in my book. So we put this podcast out there, and we're sharing our story about our miscarriages, and I don't really know, you know, what to expect. And almost immediately after putting our story out there, I get a message from a girl who doesn't live here. And she says, thank you so much for sharing your story I literally miscarried the morning before I heard your podcast. And, you know, I thought to myself, all the whys kind of became worth it in that moment. It was like God was saying, it's okay, I've got you. And without your story of pain, how is someone else going to get through their day? Or maybe the next six months of their life. And for you, you might be going through something really, really hard today. Or you have gone through something really, really hard. And in due time, God promises your testimony will not be wasted that he will use every ounce of pain, every ounce of sorrow and difficulty 
to bring glory to himself. And we need each other. We need each other's stories. Stories are so, so important. And although maybe your life wasn't what you expected it to be, and you wish it were different, and you wish, I wished, that it was easier, and that the first time we got pregnant, that I wouldn't have babies in heaven. But God promises that it's through the power of our testimony that he will bring life and he will bring glory to his name. Uh, we want to look really quick at the result of believing these lies. So to recap back through um, what those three are, it's the lie of doubt, the lie of deception, and the lie of comparison. So the first thing is that deceived people deceive people. Uh, Eve shares this sin of doubt with Adam. And the more we feed into this idea that these deceptions are actually reality, um, we build a network to support our, our vision for it. Um, as, as she like reaches out, like she starts to grab in for more, that's like, uh, I need this to become my reality. This is now my story. Um, the second is, I'm defined by what I look like. Then they both became defined by their nakedness, their shame, their trauma. And this was not their identity. Yeah, so there were, there were many times in our journey where I felt like I was defined by my trauma. So for example, it had been about four years, we weren't having kids, you know, we're starting to get older, and now we're not old, but starting to feel older. And there were many times when I felt like the easy road to take instead of asking God, Lord, what is my identity? Who do you see me as? Who am I in your eyes? The easier road for me to take was to just say, I am my trauma. To say, I'm just going to be known as the girl who can't have kids. I'm just going to be known as the girl who takes and shares her stories and helps people, but my identity was not rooted in who God actually said I was. My identity was rooted in the fact that I was broken, that people saw me a certain way, that I saw myself a certain way, that maybe we were just going to be those people. And it actually became really, really easy to just become that person and live into that lie and live into that identity. So here are some truths to combat these lies that the enemy has spoken over us since the beginning of time. So God says when he finds out that Adam and Eve have been in the garden and they've been hiding from them, they're shameful, they have become their trauma. They say, I am naked, I can't be seen before you, God. I am broken, I cannot be seen before you, God. I love the Lord's response here. He says, who told you that you were naked? He doesn't say, oh, yeah, you're naked. Okay. God knows who told them. But yet he still asks this question. Who told you that you were naked? 
the enemy, the world, almost everything around us nowadays tells us that we're broken beyond compare, that we're despised and rejected, we're unloved and we're unseen by God, and we're undeserved of his mercy and his blessing. So in these times of pain, in these times of suffering, who is telling you that you're naked? Who is telling you that you're broken beyond repair? Is that the enemy? Sure. That happens a lot. Is it these lies? Yeah. Is it comparison? For sure. But only you know in your life who and what is telling you that you're broken beyond compare. And God has told you, you are not a mistake. You're chosen. You're not a slave. You're a friend of Jesus. You're not damaged. You're a precious child of God. You have been set free from the law of sin and death. So God asks us to arm ourselves with this truth. He gave us his word, his Holy Spirit. He is our counselor and our peacekeeper. He is our rock of salvation. And your testimony is strong when it's rooted and it's identified in him. And I know for an absolute fact that without the community of people that God has placed us in, it would have been near impossible for us to feel encouraged during this time of grief. Who is telling you who you are in Christ when you're going through hard and difficult things? Is it the enemy or is it people who truly love you and want to support you and lift you up? Um, we wanted to read a psalm in closing. And more than reading along, um, I really want you to hear it. So I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. Uh, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where could I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make a bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light become night around me, even the darkness 
I'll be dark to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. This is the truth. That thing that you're battling with, you weren't created for it. And the hope of the gospel of Jesus is this. We have a cure. Amen? When nothing else could save us, Christ did. He became man, made flesh, walked among us, and died on behalf my sin, your sin, all the brokenness of the world. Like he covers it all, everything. It's all leveled at the cross. When I commit my soul to the word of God, to prayer, to a community of followers, I find a few things in my life, in my wife's life, in what we've walked through. These things show up constantly. One, I'm known. When the days were hard and the nights were long, guess who was at our doors? These people. They had walked through this with us for years, like all the way from beginning to now. Uh, they quite literally held up our arms, cried in our doorways. community. Two, he brings meaning to the scars. I don't have to look back at the loss and the pain. It's all wrapped up in my life and be trapped in it. the ultimate price was paid on the cross and it allows space for me to step in. Like, with my grief, with my doubt, with all of it, like God, God can handle it. There's space for that. Three. I'm made to worship. My worship doesn't need a physical or emotional healing enabled to exist. It's the acknowledgement that my very soul exists to commune with the living God. No matter what life throws at me, no matter the mountain, the valley, I can raise my weakness high in knowing that I know the Savior of the world. We're going to close in a song. Uh, 
I want you to know this. Uh, in times of great trouble, in prayer, this song spoke to us. It's a message of like going to the water, to the source. And knowing this, that you're known, that you're seen, and that you are loved by God. Amen. Just bow your head.